Good afternoon to everyone. I am humbled and privileged and honored to be uh, here to speak. It's uh, exciting and exhilarating, and I'm so pumped up. Uh, I told Joe when I first saw him this morning, I said, I'm just, I'm ready to hit something. I'm ready to go. And I think as men, we don't get enough of that. Okay, how many of you would love to stand up and take off your coats and rip off your ties and go run through a wall? Okay, come on. Hey, yeah, come on. Right? It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter, does it? This is not going to be an average Joe talk. Okay, so I want you to get comfortable. And what I mean by an uh, I want you to get comfortable. So I'm going to give you something, and you have to promise me, promise, see, we're already promising, that you're only going to look at the back, meaning the side I'm going to give up right here. Each of you can take one, all right? I am going to move around because I like to do that. I don't like to stand at a podium. It makes me feel like I'm a president or something, and I'm not. I am a sinner. I am sick. I'm wicked. I'm broken. And I have no business talking to you guys about anything other than that. Now, how do you feel about that? We agree. We agree. Good. So, in the spirit of John Harper, for those of you who know John, before he talked, John always gives some really neat insight, does he not? For those of you who know John Harper pretty well. Uh, so, I have some insight about today. Do you know what today is? Groundhog Day. Do you know that today, Groundhog Day, was started in 1887? Do you know that it was started and its roots are Christian? Imagine that. Its roots are Christian. Clergy would bless and distribute candles needed for winter on this day in Germany. Kind of like the 12 Days of Christmas song. Have you ever heard of it? The reason for the song is to give you insight into all of the particulars of the Christian faith, like 3, 12, 7, all those numbers reflect something. And so you'd sing it. See, what happens in culture is we take what we have and, and that's traditionally Christian and we turn it into something that's secular, like work. Like work. Also on this day, the G.I. Joe was introduced in 1964. But you didn't know that. Mark Twain, in 1863, officially went to Mark Twain as his name from Samuel Clemens in 1863. And do you know what Mark Twain means? What does it mean? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Very good. So, there's going to be another chance for a test. No, he didn't hear it. It, 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 two fathoms of depth in the Mississippi River in a riverboat. That's exactly right. Also on this date, in 1876, the National League was formed in baseball. Gil, who are the eight original teams in the National League? Anybody know? Okay. Well, then I'm going to tell you. So you're going to learn something else today, too. The Boston Red Stockings, 
The Chicago White Stockings, the Cincinnati Red Stockings, the Hartford Dark Blues, the Louisville Grays, the Mutual of New Yorks, the Philadelphia Athletics, and the St. Louis Browns. Stockings. Six of those eight teams had stocking in their name. That was the distinction with their legs, right? Okay. And lastly, in 1996, Gene Kelly dies at his home in Beverly Hills, California. Uh, his most popular uh, work was Anchors Away, Singing in the Rain, Hello, Dolly, and does everyone remember the famous movie Xanadu in 1980? Okay. So, John Harper, we're glad you're here um, because he always used to open his talks with something unique and different. So why are we going to talk about faith at work? Uh, what is work? This is the participatory part of the discussion. You, know, you guys can add to it. What is work? How do you define it? If we spend 40 to 60 hours in your office or working in some way, it is the second or the first most hours that you spend doing anything in a week. There's 168 hours in a week. Take the, the top of that sheet that I gave you. Don't look at the words on the back. The top of the sheet and write 168 on the top of that, that first block. You can write it big. Don't write it small. Write it big. Okay, do everybody have one? You don't have one. You don't have a pen. Oh, I, I can't help you with that. If anybody got extra pens, I didn't bring pen. Actually, you know what? I could probably help you with a pen. Hey, who else needs a pen? Somebody else need a pen? Okay. Pen? Pen? All right. Anybody can share a pen? Got it? 168. Okay, now take your average number of hours that you sleep a night times seven. The average adult in 2008 slept six and a half hours a night. In 1946, it was over eight. That's an hour and a half a day missed in sleep. Better defined as rest. Okay? That's one of the challenges with our culture is the pressing of time. And what you've done through your cell phones and your gadgets is that we've tried to do more in the same amount of time. Because in work, you're viewed more productively that way if you can get more done. Okay? So, if we're going to spend that much time, 40 to 60 hours, which represents somewhere between a third and 40% of your time during a week, do you not believe that you're going to have an impact on people's lives? Whether you're an attorney, a banker, a car salesman, a realtor, a missionary. Whether you're a boss, a superior, a colleague, a partner. The impact that you have on those around you in the workplace is greater than any single other person every week. And you may argue that point with me until we do this exercise. 168 hours minus the number of hours you sleep in a week. So put under 168 hours the number of hours you sleep in a week, and then put the number of hours you work and be honest. And what I mean by work is not just sitting at your office. I mean how many times during your child's baseball game do you look at your emails during Joe's sermons when you're bored? How many times do you actually look at your Twitter account 
Let me ask you zero to that one. How many times when you're in the doctor's office are you working? How many times were you sitting in a red light? Okay, now if you think about all of those hours, the average male adult works between 52 and 58 hours a week at the vocation of their choice. So put that underneath the number that's left. And how much time do you have left in a week? If you take the hours that you sleep, and let's say it's 7, just make the argument, that's 49. If you work another 49, let's say it's, that, that total was what? 98. You take the 98 from the 68, you get 70. Where are you spending the rest of those 70 hours? Okay, let's think about it. How much time are you spending during a week focusing on eating or getting yourself dressed? Two hours a day? Add workout to that. Three hours a day? Okay, just for argument's sake, put 21 down. Just put 21 down. Now that 70 goes to 21. Or it goes, minus 21 goes to 59, uh, 49. 49. Now out of those 49, how many hours do you spend with your wife awake? Talking about things other than the kids. Or work. I know how much you want it to be. How much is it? Because the next one's even more difficult. How much time do you spend just with your kids? Grandkids? Current kids? How much time is left? In those last four or five items I just gave you, work dominates every one of those other numbers, including the time you spend with the Lord. No. No. Now, what I want you to do on the second box is write down, in your opinion, the five most important things in your life. The five most important things in your life. In order. Most important to least important. You never thought you'd have to do an exercise at the men's ministry, I know. It's a way to keep you alert so that you don't fall asleep and check your emails part of the plan. Okay? Alright, after you've done that, now look at the hours that you've spent and look at the priorities. Do they match? I bet they don't. They never do. See, the challenge we have as believers, the challenge we have as Christians more importantly, the challenge we have as disciples is to go and make disciples of men. And work is a method by which we do that. What do you mean? Look on the back page now. Turn it over. And I've given you some verses on the back page that have to do with work. You maybe have never looked at it this way. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to take care of it. Oh, so that means I'm supposed to do this thing called work. Even in the Garden of Eden, when things were perfect, wonderful, it was bliss, but I was still to do something. I was made to do something. Okay. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not how well you do it. 
This is not about performance orientation. This is about what I'm doing and the heart's intention in doing it. Okay? The heart's intention in doing it. Genesis 3.23, So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. See, now that sin has come into the equation, original sin, we now are to work the ground. And in fact, it says, you are to toil in the soil. Toil in the soil. And it will make thorns and thistles. In other words, guys, work is difficult. Is marriage easy? Is having kids easy? To use my colleague Richard Simmons' book, Life is Hard. But what we want as men is we want the easy path. I want to compare myself to Patton and to Kevin and to Frank and to George and to Pete and say, well, wait a minute, they got it easier than I do. So how come I can't do what they do and get it as easy as they have it? See, part of the challenge of recognizing faith at work is to realize we're called to do it, like it or not. And the term retirement is new in our culture. Sorry, financial planners, but you know this. The word retirement didn't exist 50, 60, 100 years ago. What? Not before Social Security. That was even thought of. Work is the effort expended for the benefit of somebody else to glorify God. Work is the effort expended for the benefit of somebody else to glorify God. Do you view your work as glorifying God and serving others? If you're upset at this point, I'm going to make you even more upset. Okay, so Charles, excuse me for this, but I think I'm going to turn this off for just a minute. All right, so what was the summary I just said? That we're posing in our clothes, that I really am a bigger mess than you think I am. I can't believe this guy standing up here in a backwards shirt, and he's supposed to be a member of the Advent, and he's telling me that work is supposed to be about my faith and my belief in Jesus Christ through the Trinity. Well, what did you expect? I left the banking business six years ago, completely trusting in those three things and had no idea where it would lead me. I'm not so sure you can't do the same thing. In your vocation, nobody said you've got to teach Bible studies like I do. I don't even know if I can teach Bible studies. Actually, the Holy Spirit does the work. But I think by glorifying God through what I do, that I'm fulfilled. What? Satisfied. Really? Solomon said you couldn't be the wisest man on earth. You couldn't be satisfied. What are you striving for in work? You want the applause of the partner? Uh-oh. You brought home more money? On the, the uh, sheet... Look at Matthew's words. See, we are each given talents. And with those talents, we're to do something with them. Isn't it great? Men reading out of the Bible. This is awesome. In the middle of a Thursday...
Matthew. An awesome book. Matthew 25:14 through 30. Jesus tells us that we're each given talents. What are yours? Have you ever asked anybody? In the third section or block on the back of your sheet, write down a couple of your talents. Are you compassionate? Are you warm? Are you caring? Are you financially clear? See, part of the challenge we have as men, too, is we don't recognize the talents that the Lord has given us. Work should be the opportunity for us to take what He's given us and benefit others and glorify Him. Benefit others and glorify Him. If you don't know how you do that in your vocation, this weekend, after church, go out on your deck, take a walk, and talk to Him about what it is He's given you that you can glorify Him and serve others. Ask Him the question, how can I do that in my job? Because that's why guys come to me. Men come to see me because they want to know how they can employ what Christ has given to them through the saving grace on the cross and let the Holy Spirit work to impact others for the glorification of God. And they're tired, they're worn out, they're frustrated because work hasn't given them the expectations that the world said they'd have. Money, riches, wealth, possession, authority, Nice clothes, country club membership, neat car, three homes, kids in college at nice places, a wife that's happy. Guys, you and I both know this does not exist. It is one big fat lie. But we keep working thinking we're going to get it. And it never happens. Insanity is keeping to do the same thing and then expecting something different. At work, why not change that perspective through what He's done in your life? Do you really accept Jesus Christ as your Savior? Really? No, no, no. Really? Do you want to run through the wall because Jesus Christ is your Savior? Why not? Yesterday was National Signing Day. Did you sign up for Jesus or did you sign up for yourself? Why not? See, we're posing, hoping, if I'm just close enough to Christ, if I just know Him a little bit, if I go to that church or this church or that Bible study or that Bible study, including mine, by the way, that I'll just get there. I'll rub shoulders with enough John Thomases of the world where I am good, and you know and I know that's another lie. What at work is a lie for you? Is it how much profit you're going to make? Is it how big your partnership's going to be? Is it the next building you're going to buy? Why is that so important? I just met with a guy over the last year and a half. Won't say his name, because some of you may know him. He's looking at a business venture. He wants me to talk to him about it. We talk about some of his core values. What's important to him now in his age? Mid-50s, makes plenty of money. He wanted to look at this business venture. We talked to him about his core values, about what was really important to him, how he could make an impact in the world. He decided against it. The next day, a request for $5,800 from a girl who wanted to go on a mission trip to Bolivia. He wrote a check for $5,800. Another guy challenged 
by people in his office, challenged openly by people in his office, by grace in his life, found out that the person challenging him was addicted to pornography in the office with a key, access complete. By his grace, the man is in recovery. His family has been returned. It happens every day. Where in your work can you make a difference to serve others and glorify God? Not to serve yourself. Because the issues we have with ourselves are this. This is what prevents us from enjoying work the way the Lord intended. And you can write these in one of those boxes if you want. Number one, enjoying life. I'm entitled to it. Whatever work gets it, I should get it. It's mine. He got his, I should have mine. You're entitled to it. Number two, perform. I want people to know I'm worth it. You remember the old Stuart Smalley? Does everybody remember the old Saturday Night Live skit? By golly, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and people like me. See, I really hope after this that you really like me. That's why I'm doing this, right? Is so that you really like me. No. No, I'm doing this to show you that I'm as goofy, wicked, sinful, and broken as you are, but through work, 40, 50, 60 hours a week, I want to praise the Lord, I want to serve other people, and I want to hit Satan right where he doesn't like it, in the heart of men. And if you're not being tugged right now and you're not being pulled and nothing's being revealed to you, that's a good thing. You know why? Because it's coming. How do I know? Because I've seen it. And guess what? It's going to come again. It's going to come again. The process of sanctification, guys, doesn't happen with one deal. That one deal you closed or that one company you've landed or that one job you've got never satisfies enough. And you know it and I know it. The only thing that Solomon told us would, sur would survive all of that is a relationship with the Lord through fear, through reverence. And I'm asking you to look at it not just knowing God or attempting to know God or getting kind of close. Do you embrace Jesus Christ as your Savior and do you allow the Holy Spirit to work? And I'm not talking about snakes with the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about letting it work, showing it. You know, Paul Zoll was awesome at the way he would look at a Stephen King movie and find the gospel message. You know, he taught people how to listen to music and hear it. What did I listen to before I got here? Okay, I'm going to give you some indication of who I am. I'm a closet rock and roller, okay? Third day, I could... Go be a rowdy for him. You know, third day is to rock and roll Christian man. And they have a song called This Is Who I Am. And it's a powerful song about the fact I'm not who you think I am. I'm not the guy in the white shirt with the tie on who's got it all together. Nor are you. So why do we keep posing like we are? Because of the third thing that's a problem. We want to achieve. It's all about acquisition. It's all about I'm bigger and stronger. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to get it. It's mine. I want to achieve it. I want to hunt. I want to get it. When I get it, I'm going to enjoy it for myself. Number four, which is kind of close to that, conquer. Not just get it, but I want to subdue it. 
I want to drive it to its, uh, the attorneys in the room. I want to drive the other side completely nuts, right? I want to conquer. And number five, and this is the biggie, I want to hide myself. See, if I work hard enough and long enough, then I can hide to who I really am. It's 1247. I probably have about six more minutes to talk before we ask questions, but I really want you to do right now is close your eyes because I want to pray. Okay? Close your eyes and drop your arms. What I mean by drop your arms, you can look up now. Business guys do this a lot, and that used to mean a whole lot of stuff. All I'm saying is open your arms and let the Holy Spirit work. Where two or three are gathered, there he will be also. Guys, there's no reason not to pray together. Okay? Look, I'm the goofy one here. I'm the one dressed like this. Okay? I'm fine with that. What about you? So let's close our eyes and let's pray. Dear Lord and gracious and most merciful Father, I don't know why I'm here. I got no idea. I'm broken, I'm wicked, I'm sinful, and you love me anyway. You've given me a wife, children, parents, sisters, brothers. You've given me a vocation. You've given it to all of these men who come and have no idea why they're here either. Were they asked to come by a friend? Have they known about who I am and they want to come hear me speak? Maybe it's because they're looking to do a deal with the guy across the table. Lord, I pray that you will reveal to them one-on-one what you want them to do for you. Because our work should be about glorifying you and serving in your kingdom. So whether I'm an attorney or a banker or a business owner or a real estate guy or a financial planner or a website developer or a software maker or a a doctor or a missionary or a pastor, reveal to me, Lord, through my work, how I can serve others and glorify you. Have mercy upon us, Lord, for who we are. Grant us the wisdom and the insight to do your will this day and help us rejoice and be glad in this day through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so here are three to five ideas. Now, when I say ideas... I just want you to, these are not solutions. I'm not the fix-it guy, nor are you, okay? These are ideas that working with about 200 men over the last five years, I've just learned about, okay? And you may like one of these, um, but they're completely up to you. Ideas for the workplace. Number one, um, or initially, I think the idea is to recognize God's gift. Do you recognize today as God's gift or not? No matter How bad today is or is going to be, is it a gift from God? If we don't recognize his sovereignty in our life, we can't grasp the next thing, which is, do you truly resolve to know him? And the key word here for you is intimacy. I see my brother Joe Warren back there, and I stole this from him, and I use it all the time. In, to, me, see. Are you allowing the love of Christ to see into you so much that it will transform you from the inside out, not from the outside in. 
from inside out. Into me see. Do you really want to intimately know him or do you just want to be involved in a group that talks about him? And all of us have been there. In fact, there's a, a quote um, by uh, John Stott. It says, The common denominator of all models of ministry is humility before Christ. Are you willing to strip, look yourself in the mirror and say, I don't have what Clay thinks I have. I can't possibly give the talk that Joe wants me to give. I'm not worthy enough to do that. Only through you is that possible. Number three, Uh, To use Peter Drucker, most of you will know who that is. To use Peter Drucker, it's to respond to the calling. Are you going to do anything about it? And this, guys, is really where I hit in my office, guys, head on, head on. A lot of guys want to dance around the issue of I'm a Christian, but you know the word Christian is only in the New Testament three times. The word disciple, 269. If there's nothing you've learned today, that's a perfect example. Are you a disciple or are you a Christian? Christian is a secular moniker given to us who go to church on a somewhat regular basis. A disciple is a pupil, a learner, someone who constantly is engaged in a relationship with someone else to learn from them. Are you willing to make that kind of commitment? Because transformation at the discipleship level takes a guy like John who was vindictive, harsh, mean, he was thunder, and turned him into a loving and compassionate disciple at the end of his life. If you study the disciples and the transition of them, they were completely transformed from the beginning of who they were to the end of their lives. Are you willing to commit to that level? Because Peter Drucker says, in order to be effective, you have to know the right thing to do. If you're coming to church involved in a Bible study, you know that Christ is your Savior, then why aren't you doing anything with it? Because that's just like the parable of the talents. You've been given it, but you're not doing anything with it. Are you signing up to be on Jesus' team or on somebody else's team? What jersey are you going to wear? Because in our culture, it's all about me. It's all about everything I do. It's how I'm perceived. Number four, and this is where it really hits your bit, redefine your objectives and your vocation. What do you mean by that? Redefine? Okay. Okay, you can call me semi-pelagianistic if you want. But the only way, once you commit to something, you're going to have to, as Lou Holtz says, you've got to write it down. What is it that you really want to do with the rest of your life in your vocation? What do you really want to do? What's keeping you from doing it? If you're the boss, if you're the partner, if, you're, if there are most people in here in a position of authority, what's keeping you from doing it? Maybe it's as simple as teaching uh, children at a school how to manage their, their um, checkbook or how to manage money. Maybe it's something as simple as offering your services to somebody free. Maybe it's something completely radically different like building a house. Maybe it's taken like my, my client did and take money and apply it somewhere else where it's going to benefit others. Here's another concept. God wanted to invest in a company. He's going to be a 30% owner. It's not 
He's an elephant. He's a pimple on an elephant, as I tell him. You know, you're not leading the deals. So he said, well, what do I do with the money that I make? I said, how about you develop a scholarship program for other kids? If this idea is helping certain kids, why not establish a scholarship and all the profits that go from this company establish a scholarship for those who can't normally go? Well, what about a scholarship for your employees' kids to go to college? Redefine what it is you're doing with what you've been given. It's not yours anyway, is it? Okay, that's a different topic, right? Different topic. And then the last is reach out. The last is reach out. So you've got five things, and they all start with R. Recognize God's gifts to you. Resolve to know Him intimately. Respond to the calling. Do something. Don't just sit there. As my dad would say, like a bump on a log. You know? Don't just sit there. Do something. You've got all the tools. Redefine the business object. Redefine what it is your vocation or work is designed to do. And the best way to do that is reflective. Like through Joe's um, men's uh, ministry hike. That's the best way to do it. And fifth, reach out. Then go out there and do something with it. To serve others and to, gl- and to glorify God. There are three primary elements of work that should be at the heart of everything we do. The first is service. Are we serving others? The second, are we sacrificing for Him? The third, we will be satisfied. It's time to break the mold, guys. Sorry for embarrassing you on the way I look. It's a few minutes before one. Any questions? What I meant by that is that, that we wrestle so much in the business world with things that we wish would go our way that it presents to us a position of anger, frustration that doesn't allow us to reflect out the proper way. We get so warped in what's not going our way that we don't look at how we can use the gifts we have to glorify God and to serve others. We're consumed with, oh, Charlie did it to me. Wait a minute, that's the circumstances. Get over it. Move on. How can I take what I've been given and help Charlie in the process instead of focusing on me, me, me all the time, time, time? Okay? We get more frustrated with things we can't change in the business world because traditionally you're paid because you have changed things. You're really good at it. People pay you for that. Good question. What else? Oh, come on. Has it really been that? Okay. Nothing else? Just a simple observation. Uh, every time I see you, there's no <laughs> I love it. Hey, hey, guys, you can have as much energy and enthusiasm at your work as anybody else does. But if you ground it in the gospel first and realize it's a beautiful day and then take what he's given you, you didn't go when you were born and checkbox all these neat things you have and then go and serve other people with it, you're going to be satisfied in ways you never thought possible. It's not about how much money you can make. It's not about you know, running seven businesses. It's not about owning property. None of that stuff's in Scripture. 
It's about taking the talent that you've been given and doing something with it to glorify Him. Pat. Or chasing after the wind, as, as Solomon says. It's all just a chasing after the wind. In the end of the day, for all of us, whatever we have left over, somebody in our family is going to get, and they're going to do something else with it. He says that. I didn't say it. That's what Solomon's saying. You know, Why not find satisfaction in what you do have? Whatever that lot is. And that change is centered in a deeper, intimate relationship with Christ. And if you don't get involved in groups, and if you don't engage with other men in the issues that you're confronting, typically executives and successful people, as Larry Taunton says, become isolated. They're so far up the ladder, they can't relate to anybody below, and they certainly don't want anybody to see all their dirty laundry. right? So they get isolated. That's as dangerous as doing nothing. The idle man as Solomon says. It's as dangerous as doing nothing. So I think you're exactly right. You don't have to become a pastor or go to seminary or quit the bank like a crazy guy like me and go try to do something like this. But what you can do is impact the people around you 40, 50, 60 hours a week with the gospel message because you're called to be disciples of men. That is what you're asked to do in Matthew chapter 28. Not to make a million dollars this year. Not to close the next deal. You're called to be disciples of men. Why aren't we doing it? I'm happy to sit and talk afterwards, so if there's anything anybody else has, thank you for allowing me to rant. Oh, sorry.
Thank you, Todd. That was uh, not tame. So, we appreciate you being here. Maybe uh, come back and you can t- give us uh, ideas about how to um, ha- how to pursue Christ, how to pursue that intimacy. As as men whose jobs, you know, sixty hours, we got to get our workout in, and we can't think clearly, and we got a wife who wants to spend time with us, and kids, and yeah, how, how do we pursue Christ in the midst of all that? Guys, thanks so much. Go in peace, and love, and serve the Lord.